Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our discussion today will focus on the care of people with complex chronic care needs. But even beyond that, this is one of the best examples, in my opinion, on how the future of healthcare is going to be created and manifested, which is through the deployment of segmented, customized care delivery models. It's also a great example of how to solve one of the most challenging problems in healthcare and in our society, care of the older, sicker, and poorer population. Folks, I hope you come away as inspired and uh, learn as much as I did from this interview. So, we are incredibly fortunate to have a guest on the show, Dr. Sachin Jain. Sachin is the president of Care More Health. Uh, He's had a remarkable career. He graduated from Harvard College with a BA in government and went on to earn an MD from the Harvard Medical School, as well as an MBA from the Harvard Business School. He trained in internal medicine at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, a Harvard Medical School teaching affiliate. Dr. Jane worked in the Obama administration, where he was the senior advisor to Dr. Donald Berwick when Don was leading the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Dr. Jane was the first deputy director for policy and programs at the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. He also served as a special assistant to uh, Dr. David Blumenthal when David was the national coordinator for health information technology. Sachin has served as the chief medical information and innovation officer at Merck prior to joining Caremore. Of note, he's published over 100 peer-reviewed articles and journals such as the New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, Health Affairs, and the Harvard Business Review blogs. He's also the editor of a book, The Soul of a Doctor. Throughout his career, he has continued to practice internal medicine. So without further ado, let's drop into the interview we recorded just a few weeks ago. So so Sachin, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of what Caremore is? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Zev. Uh, Caremore is a 25-year-old um, healthcare delivery organization that um, has focused on the care of complex, uh, high-cost, high-need patients um, throughout its history. Um, we started uh, in service of Medicare-eligible patients. And then over the last couple of years have now, um, I I think, transformed the organization uh, to serve uh, Medicaid patients as well as uh, commercial patients um, as we've expanded our footprint and as we've worked to um, further impact the care of patients uh, that are covered through health plans um, that are administered by our parent corporation, which which is Anthem. Um, and so um, we now take, o- take care of over 150,000 patients. We have over 40 clinics, and we have an increasing push um, in terms of delivering care, both in the home uh, as well as uh, through digital solutions um, that um, enable us to better take care of complex, you know, chron- polychronic patients. Mm-hmm. So that's great. And, and how many states are you currently in? Um, you know, it's a number that seems to change every day. Uh, 2015, we were in four states. Um, we're presently in 10. Um, we're marching towards 12 or 13 uh, for early 2019. Um, and, you know, before long, I think we'll be, we'll be in many more. Um, so we're, we're very excited about, you know, the progress we've made. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that I think the problems that we're aiming to solve are now, you know, really well known to our industry. 
Um, I think the, the hard work is now just actually executing and, and um, you know, delivering the type of service that we know patients with, you know, a high burden of chronic disease really deserve and, and really benefit from. Yeah. You know what, I'm going to ask you in a moment to, to describe how you deliver care, how you provide care for, for, for patients with complex chronic conditions. But you mentioned the problem that you're trying to solve and the fact that it's becoming more well-known. So, so could you, could you, you know, make that explicit? What is, what is the problem? Yeah, Um, I would say that we have a healthcare system that's designed for, um, like the median patient. We have this American egalitarian ideal that, you know, everyone should be treated equally. And the truth is, is that patients with different conditions need different types of delivery models to um, support them and, and, you know, deliver and enable their success and enable their, you know, clinical improvement. And that's a, that's a, you know, it sounds simple enough on the surface, but I think it's it's a pretty revolutionary concept. Different patients need different types of delivery systems. Um, and I think, you know, historically we had a pretty um, uh, strong aversion to customization in terms of delivery models. I think we believe that everyone should go to the same doctors and receive the same treatment and the same types of clinical models. And I think what we're increasingly realizing is that you know, if you ha- if you do have a high burden of chronic disease, if you do have, um, uh, you know, a, a high level of complexity from a clinical care perspective, that you need a clinical model and clinical solution that's that's carefully tailored to that complexity. Mm-hmm. Now, so so you're as I'm hearing this, so you're talking about a kind of a focus segmentation uh, on a sub category or sub segment of primary care, and and that's what CareMore has been focused on for decades. Why, um, and it may be obvious to you, but I, I do want to ask the question, why or how is it better and how do you know it's better than, let's say, a general primary care practice or provider group uh, might uh, offer patients? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, so it's, uh, I think it's better because it it treats um, patients with a highly specific, you know, I think configuration of of medical illnesses differently. Um, you know, if you have diabetes, there's a subset of services that you need to bring to bear to address the needs of a of a of a diabetic patient. Um, you know, you need a diet and nutrition support. You need exercise coaching and counseling. You need you know medication management. You need uh, you know you know close uh, management of your behavioral health because there is you know, with any chronic disease, there's a, a significant layer of, of denial and, and behavioral health issues. And, you know, the traditional healthcare delivery model is not designed to give you that. Um, and I'll, I'll contrast it for you. So if you're a patient in a traditional healthcare delivery setting, you, you know, have a primary care doc, that primary care doc for all of those services would write you five different referrals and won't. And so, you know, you have all of these kind of folks who are practicing, who are, you know, practicing to support your care as a patient, but who ultimately are, are communicating through, you know, uh, notes that, you know, sometimes get, don't get read. Um, And oftentimes, you know, I think everyone's had the experience of being in a clinical care setting where, you know, a conversation that should have happened between a primary care doctor and a specialist or, you know, another extended member of the care team didn't happen. And so, so much of the communication burden falls on the hands of, of patients. 
Um, and you know, that's not the right way to practice medicine. Um, and so, you know, because we exist in a world of prepayment, um, where we are fully delegated and fully at risk for the care of all, for all the expenses associated with the care of our patients, we have an incentive to create, you know, make sure that the right conversations are happening, that the right specialists are co-located, um, that there is the right layer of care coordination, that patients have access to transportation when they need transportation to come to and from their appointments, that you know, when a patient's discharged from the hospital and they don't have the appropriate food in their house, that you know, we deliver it to them. Um, you know, so it's a combination of a financial model that um, I think puts us fully at risk and then, you know, a clinical model that's closely and carefully designed to, you know, deliver um, care in a, in a cust- highly customized, highly tailored fashion for the benefit of our patients. Mm-hmm. So why don't you take us through that? How, how is a, a, a patient uh, who's part of Anthem, uh, or, or I don't know if you, you might take patients outside of Anthem, I don't know, but... We do. Uh, you do. So that's what I thought. And so how, how is a patient selected for, for care more, um, for this complex chronic care delivery system? And then what, what does it look like? How, how, if I was a patient, um, and, and I, you know, how would you know that you, you know, I need to care more and then what would care more offer? Uh, what would it look like? What does that care look like? Is, do you take full care or you, do you augment the care that the primary care provider provides? How does that work? Well, we, you know, we have a lot of different models, um, but I'll talk about our traditional model and then we can, if it's interesting to you and your listeners, we can talk about, um, you know, some of the model variations. But at a high level, you know, someone will enroll in a, an Anthem health plan that has a, you know, and they will select into the CareMore health network. Um, that means that they become a patient of CareMore. Um, when they become a CareMore patient, they um, will get a phone call from us asking to schedule them for what's called a healthy start visit. The healthy start visit will bring them to one of our care centers where we will do a head-to-toe um, physical examination where we will uh, identify any you know kind of unmet chronic disease management needs and then we will plug patients into any one of a number of clinical programs that we deliver through the care centers, through home or, or digitally, um, you know, through their, through their home devices. Um, they will then also have access to a primary care physician of their liking, um, you know, someone who is either employed by CareMore or contracted with CareMore to deliver primary care, as well as a network of specialists that are, that are either employed by CareMore or contracted with CareMore. Um, if the patient is ever sick um, and they're in the hospital, they're treated by a care more employed extensivist. Um, this is a, uh, a physician and usually an internal medicine trained physician who will take care of them in the hospital, but then also take care of them in skilled nursing facilities, as well as in post-discharge follow-up care in close co- coordination and collaboration with their primary care physician. Um, in many of our markets and for many of our patients, um, we actually offer home-based primary care um, as well as, um, uh, you know, home, SNF-based, you know, chronic disease management if a patient is based, you know, in, a, is in an institutional setting. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you know, one of the kind of key mantras that we talk about is this notion of radical common sense um, and just doing what works for patients in the context of their lives. 
And, um, you know, so we have, uh, I think, a whole suite of services that, you know, I think the industry is today calling, you know, uh, interventions to to address social determinants of health, but they've been a part of who we are for as long as we've been around. Um, you know, we provide things like non-emergency medical transportation to get bring patients to and from their uh, office visits. We've actually partnered with Lyft uh, to do that. Um, we offer a, a, a access to what we call nifty after 50 gyms that are usually co-located with our care centers. Um, those uh, gyms end up being um, really focused on the senior population and provide senior focused exercise programming that patients otherwise really don't have access to. Um, we have machines that are really focused on the senior population and personal trainers that are focused on the senior population. Um, and then we have, you know, clinical programs like the Togetherness Program, which is a, um, a focused effort around um, addressing social isolation and, and loneliness in our patients. Um, and then we've got a number of, I think, innovative pilots underway in our, in our organization, like integration of pharmacists to do chronic disease management. Um, we've, we're integrating dental and medical care at one of our clinics. Um, so there's a lot of exciting things going on in Caremore right now. We're, we're in, you know, in the process of launching a hospital at home program so that we can actually take care of low to moderate acuity hospitalizations in a home setting. Um, so lots of, lots of innovation underway right now. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds, thank you for that description. It, so it sounds like you've really created a, a, a care model, uh, that is exclusively focused and caters to, uh, older folks who, who have very complicated chronic conditions, uh, some of which, as you just alluded to and mentioned, are not just physical in nature, but also psychosocial in nature as well. And I really want to focus on that because I, I and, and I just want to say I have uh, really appreciated your uh, writings and your comments on social media about this issue of social isolation. I, I don't. I, I suspect that most people, even in healthcare, aren't aware of how serious uh, this is. It's you know, it's almost, and I, I at this point I would consider it a chronic disease, and maybe the most uh, common and impactful one. But I'd like you to comment on why social isolation and loneliness is so important. What's its impact? Um, and and your 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 together program, uh, if you could go into that and, and describe how you've constructed it, the use of your own employees, all that training you've done, and it's just I, I think it's it's really a model that others should emulate. So I, I'd love you to to, to speak to that. Yeah, there, there's a Harvard um, African-American studies scholar named Kay Anthony Apaya who, who called loneliness, I think this was in 2001 or so, called loneliness an epidemic, plain sight, an epidemic in plain sight in American society. And I think that's exactly what it is. It's an epidemic in plain sight. I think um, it's a significant uh, cause of depression as well as an effect of depression. Um, I think people find themselves... Uh, growing older uh, and, and lonelier. I think there's a number of different causes, um, changes in the family structure, um, you know, the increasing prevalence of divorce, uh, the fact that um, we have a gender disparity in terms of life expectancy. So um, women en en end up outliving men in a lot of cases. Um, a change in, in the, the notion of the intergenerational family, we used to have you know, several generations living within, you know, one household under one roof. Um, I think today, you know, that's that's more of an exception and not the rule. Um, people's careers are more geographically mobile. So people who once 
lived down the street from, you know, their family members and friends now live, you know, plane flights away. Um, and then I think that there's a number of other medical factors that actually drive loneliness. And, and honestly, I've, I've kind of, uh, I've, I've learned about these things, uh, in part from just actually watching my parents and their friends age, which is, you know, as you develop, uh, cataracts, uh, and, you know, your vision starts to decline, you get less comfortable driving. As you get less comfortable driving, you get less, you're, you're less likely to contact and connect with your friends. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, there's just a number of things that conspire to create um, social isolation among the senior population. And I think there's an incredible opportunity for the healthcare delivery system to operate to both identify, you know, screen for and identify loneliness. And then, you know, frankly, connect people with resources within their communities that uh, can actually help address the issue. Um, we have actually undertaken a very aggressive uh, project with our physical plant, you know, within Caremore to reorient the waiting rooms within our care centers to actually be community spaces where people can come, you know, even if they don't have an appointment to do puzzles, to play music for one another, to attend classes, um, and uh, have you know, begun to employ um, uh, you know, individuals who will work in our waiting rooms to actually introduce uh, what, what have been our waiting rooms or are now our community spaces, but will work to introduce you know, patients to one another. Um, you know, we are nifty after 50, you know, gyms that, that I referenced earlier have a number of social uh, programs that are attached to them. Um, you know, many of the classes have a very significant social component to them. Uh, and so, you know, we've seen people who uh, have been widowed or are widowers uh, who um, have met, you know, each other and have gotten married as a result of kind of meeting in our, uh, in our space. And so, you know, we really take on this idea of whole person care um, and whole person care, you know, doesn't stop at, the, you know, the exam room. It extends into a patient's life at home and in the community. And, um, you know, I think we as Caremore feel a significant sense of responsibility to our patients, you know, as far as their overall well-being is concerned, you know, in thinking about their, um, you know, their sense of connectedness and, and social interaction with one another. Mm-hmm. And you, you've also, as part of this together, uh, togetherness program, you've you've also trained people to be connectors. Uh, those are your own employees. Could you mention that? We have. So we we have a few dedicated employees whose full time jobs is to call, you know, our socially isolated patients and check up check up on them. And you know, there's an incredible sense of appreciation among our um, among our patient base because oftentimes it really is only our patients. Only our staff who actually call our patients on a regular basis. You know, early in the program, we heard anecdotes of, um, you know, patients answering the phone saying, hello, Armando. Armando is the name of one of our, you know, care more togetherness connectors. And um, Armando said, you know, why, how did you know it was me? And the person on the other end of the phone said, I knew it was you because you're the only person who ever calls me. Wow. I think that paints the picture of the problem that we're really trying to solve. And, you know, you asked the question of how this in, impacts health, you know, health and healthcare. Um, human beings are social creatures. We live for one another. And, you know, we take care of ourselves in part 
because of our connection to one another. And so if you have a high burden of chronic disease and you don't have anyone in your life who cares for you, you're less likely to take your medicines. You're less likely to follow, you know, your treatment protocols. Um, and so, you know, in the population that we serve with the high prevalence of loneliness, we believe very strongly that if we start to address the loneliness of our patients, that we will, I think, make an impact on their overall health and healthcare. Yeah, that's great. I, I, again, I can't say enough about the programs you put together and uh, the fact that you're writing about it, which I think is so, so important. And uh, I'll just share with you, I've, I've uh, over the past few weeks, have been trying to emulate actually what you're doing and uh, looking to create, you know, programs similar to that, because I, I, I agree with you. I mean, clearly, if you look at the research on this, uh, it is an epidemic. It's international. There are now large surveys and studies uh, describing um uh, just how prevalent uh, loneliness is, as well as the as the impact. In fact, I was, and I think you might have actually written this as well. Um, the impact of loneliness is akin to smoking like half a pack of cigarettes a day, in terms of uh, from a clinical perspective. That's right. That's right. So, um, I, you know, ultimately, I think you know uh, when people are not connected to each other, when they feel a sense of social isolation you know, a certain amount of despair sets in. And I don't, you know, I don't want to kind of limit this to a, uh, a senior population. I think um, this is not just a senior, uh, you know, senior citizen problem, but I think where it is felt most acutely and where it really is kind of a, a well-known, but kind of poorly addressed epidemic um, is in the senior population. I think, you know, one important point that is worth making is that this is not a condition that requires us to invent a new drug or devise a new medical procedure. Um, we have all the technology uh, that we need to, to address the problem of loneliness. It's human connection. So it's really about will, skill, and organization. Um, I, you know, I, I stopped short in my answer regarding you know, employees participating. We have some dedicated staff that work on this. But then we have an incredible army of Anthem and Caremore employees who actually make regular phone calls to patients, um, you know, as volunteers. Um, you know, this is a very mission-driven organization, and there's a very strong sense that, you know, we um, we have to take care of, of the people we serve. And you know, when we started to identify patients, both through our own screenings as well as patients' own self-referrals to our togetherness program. Um, we found that there was more demand for this program than there was supply of people willing, you know, people who had, um, uh, uh, you know, time to do this. And so we put a call out to our employees and lo and behold, we got, you know, uh, you know, a number of messages uh, of, of interest um, from employees who, who are really, you know, committed to doing this. And um, it's been, you know, remarkable to see what a, what a difference it makes mm -hmm. Now, in, in the readings I've done, uh, it sounds like either um, the connectors that are fully employed or the volunteers, uh, your employee volunteers, they, they, they do these calls sometimes weekly, uh, as you were saying before, uh, to, to your customers, and, and they're also connecting them with uh, other programs. So do you have a, uh, you know, sort of a list of programs. How are you? How are you connected to programs, and how do you get your? Yeah, we, we have community partners that have, you know, I, I think uh, services or or settings that are, you know, that will can support patients, adult daycare type settings, um, 
community centers. Um, but then we also have our own programs, um, you know, specifically our space and our care centers, as well as, you know, the, the physical activity and social programs that we have at our nifty after 50 gyms. Hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of the effort is around driving their engagement. We're now in the process of trying to scale this program beyond, you know, a care more population to a broader Anthem Medicare population. And we're having tremendous success there too. Um, and so we're, you know, we're feeling really good about the role that we can play in making a difference in, in the communities that we serve. Yeah, no, I, I think you should feel good about it. It's, it's really fantastic. You're, you're really, uh, you're really changing uh, the paradigm here. Let me ask you, you know, so, you know, to me, it's, it's, you know, I've been a fan of Caremore and following Caremore for years and, and watching your growth and, and, uh, you know, as you've, as you've taken the helm, uh, some of the work you've been doing and, and advancing it. So how, um, in terms of overall clinical outcomes, care outcomes, overall, you know, total cost of care is such a huge issue today. Um, as you were saying before, you're prepaid programs, so you get a certain amount. How, how is your model compared to, I, I don't know, other models like that out there or just sort of general uh, Medicare total cost of care? Yeah, I mean, I think the, so from a total cost of care perspective, I mean, we're able to, you know, I think shave very significant uh, uh, percentage points off of total cost of care, um, largely as a function of the reduced overall hospitalization rates of our patients. Um, so our patients end up being admitted to the, given the high level, high burden of illness that they experience, um, they are admitted to the hospital in lower frequency. And when they are admitted to the hospital, they spend fewer days there. Um, and, you know, lots of people spend a lot of time talking about the high cost of prescription drugs. Very few people spend a lot of time talking about the high cost of hospitalizations. And, um, you know, if you can avoid a hospitalization for a patient with multiple chronic diseases, you can save, you know, the overall healthcare system, you know, tens of thousands of dollars um, per admission avoided. Um, and we use the, the, those funds in terms of the admissions avoided to invest in the programs that we um, that we deliver, and so you know, you know the extensivists, uh, the chronic disease management programs based in the care center, um, all of that is really funded off the backs of the better healthcare outcomes that mm. we're able to deliver because of the because yeah. of the care centers and the extensivists. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's you know it's a it's a really neat virtuous cycle that way. So, so I imagine, and thanks for for sharing that. I think your your point is really well taken about the hospitalizations. Uh, you know, hospital stay can cost anywhere you know eight to ten thousand dollars dollars easily. So that's just a huge sum just for one hospital stay. Part of the cost too, we know, in the hospital stay is also the post hospital stay, or the, what we call a post acute care stay, which can be in in nursing homes. Are you seeing reductions in the use of nursing homes and the number of days people are staying in nursing homes as they're? Are, are you able to get them? Seeing, what we're doing is we're actually also substituting hospital days with sniff days, mm-hmm. uh, in part because we think you know oftentimes we admit patients to the hospital at a you know an average cost of three or four thousand dollars a day, mm-hmm. uh, when you know you could admit them to a sniff and provide the same level you know same level of care um, for you know five to six hundred dollars a day, mm-hmm. uh, and so a lot of what we try to do because we have the same doctors who rotate between, you know, the hospital to the SNF to post-discharge follow-up, um, we have, I think, an incredible opportunity to, you know, reduce total cost of care 
mm-hmm. by substituting lower cost settings for higher cost settings. Got it. And and I think, you know, and I, I don't know if this was in a correspondence or in something I read. So I, I forgot about that. So you're you're really what I think what's what's really nice about your model too is it's that extensive is that care more physician is following the patient in the hospital also, as you were just saying, in the nursing home or the SNF. And so you're really using the the most highly trained asset you have in 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 these settings, right? And so, which is not not the norm, right? So in 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 the norm in nursing homes and SNFs is is actually nurses or assistants, nursing assistants, not doctors. And if a doctor shows up, it's potentially once every day or two or three. And um, but you really change that, and I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I mean, we you know our doctors will partner with our nurse practitioners to, you know, be present as much as we can within the SNF setting. Um, I think a big challenge in the SNF setting is that, you know, patients go there and they languish for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we are there, you know, managing their care on a very regular basis. And I think that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. So where, I, I mean, what, when you look at the market, um, and and you know we're seeing the the now the growth rapid growth of of Medicare Advantage these sorts of again prepaid Medicare programs. Um, number one, how, how do you see the market moving in that direction? And number two, how do you see yourself care more situated in that market? Yeah, so you know Medicare Advantage I think uh, is going to be an increasingly growing segment of how seniors access healthcare, and you know there's a good reason for it is. You know, in exchange for a narrow, narrower, more, you know, closely curated network, um, patients get more benefits. Um, their total out-of-pocket expenditure goes down while, you know, in proportion with the, the trade-offs they're making around kind of having the wide access network that they, they have access to when they do fee-for-service Medicare. And, you know, I think that's a pretty compelling value proposition to a lot of seniors, particularly folks who are on fixed income or have, have low incomes. And, um, and so I think you're going to see a lot more Medicare Advantage. Um, you know, where Caremore is positioning itself um, is as a payer agnostic delivery solutions provider to Medicare Advantage plans. And so while we're presently partnered very closely with Anthem because, you know, our, we had our own health plan before, which is which was the Caremore Health Plan, which is now, you know, an Anthem Health Plan. Um, we are also now operating as a payer agnostic entity, and are signing contracts with with other health plans that were traditionally previously competitors, but now are collaborators. And there, there's a reason for that, which is that, you know, regardless of what your health plan is, you know, patients want access to the kind and, and need access to the kind of services that we offer at Caremore. And so, um, you know, we're trying to grow very aggressively. You know, we were at, we served at about 85,000 patients in 1994. I mean, to the end, I'm sorry, 2014. I don't know what, what decade I'm living in there. Was that, uh, in 2014, we were ser- serving about 85,000 patients. Wow. And today, you know, we touch over 160,000 patients. Wow. Um, and, huge. you know, much of that is organic growth in our Medicare uh, programs. Some of it is uh, growth, because we now take care of Medicaid patients. Um, but, you know, an increasing uh, segment for us will soon be uh, our work with patients who are enrolled in non-anthem health plans 
Um, and that's exciting for us mm-hmm. because we think, you know, whatever your preferences on the health plan side, we think more patients should benefit from, um, a, you know, a care more delivery model. Yeah. I mean, that's really tremendous growth in a really short period of time. What, um, what, what are the growing pains? How, how challenging is it to scale your model? I mean, there's a, your model is complex. Uh, it's intricate. It's a lot going on. Um, you can't just slap this together. So how, how are you thinking about, especially when you move across the country into distant geographies, how, how do you hire the right people? How do you set it up? How do you get the processes to work as smoothly as it does on the West Coast? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it when you asked the question, how do you hire the right people? So, the, the, you know, what we do is not rocket science. Um, uh, you know, uh, we, we, our model has been documented now in Harvard Business School case studies, Commonwealth Fund case studies. So if you wanted to, you could put it all back together. But I think the hardest part is actually creating a culture where people reliably do the right thing and are coming from the right place as it relates to actually taking care of our patients. And, you know, for years, people said, oh, well, Caremore, it's a boutique Southern California model. It can't scale. And I think we've proven them wrong um, because we are scaling. Uh, and, you know, the truth is, is there are Caremore type people in, you know, professionals really in every market uh, in America. Um, you know, I call them, you know, members of our lost, you know, lost members of our tribe, rather. <laughs> these, are, these are people who think like we do, want to deliver care like we do but are operating in delivery models that work against their better instincts as professionals. Mm-hmm. And so we are, you know, in the process of trying to, you know, find the lost members of our tribe in every community and put them to work um, within a care more model. Um, and, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, when you, when you find those people when you, and you get them into an organization that has a culture that's oriented around doing the right thing, you know, more of the time than not, um, that just really fantastic things start to happen. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very optimistic about our ability to scale and grow what we're doing far beyond, you know, kind of our traditional about, you know, borders. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to pick up on that one point you, you mentioned uh, right now, which is the idea that there are physicians uh, and other providers out there that uh, want to practice the way you all are practicing, but they can't. And so the, you know, as I hear that, what I'm hearing is that they're not paid to practice that way. And what I'm hearing is that uh, uh, their their model, again, the general, you know, primary care model is is a is a revenue or volume-based model where the more they see, the more they get paid, um, whether it's through revenue or through RVUs. And so I'm assuming that the way that your providers are compensated is, is not based on volume and that they actually can spend time with their patients either in person or through virtual. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a mixed model. So if you're a contracted, you know, primary care doctor or specialist, you get, you traditionally get paid on either capitation, you know, on, a, on our preference is capitation because we want, we want your incentive to be to focus on, you know, making sure that patients are well and are kept out of the hospital. If you're an employed clinician at Caremore, you're paid a generous salary, um, but then have an even more generous, uh, bonus structure that's really focused on, um, on clinical outcomes. And so up to you know, 35% of one's base, uh, one's compensation um, is, is linked to clinical outcomes for patients 
um, that quarter. And we really look at things like hospital bed days and admissions per thousand, because I think the purest metric of quality is, you know, are you able to keep patients healthy out of the hospital? And, um, and I think that that's, um, that's, you know, what we, what we were trying to promote is something that I think is becoming increasingly rare in the current environment, which is a physician owner mindset as opposed to an employee mindset. And I think, you know, one of the things that happens when somebody's an owner is that when the patient doesn't show up at clinic, they want to know why, and they want to actually take care of the patient. Um, and when you have a patient who's, when you have a clinician who's an employee, when a patient doesn't show up to clinic, you celebrate because you have 15 minutes to, to, you know, to do something else with your time. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, so um, we are really trying to build a, a physician culture that's about ownership and not, not about, you know, kind of being an employee. Well, it sounds like you're also aligning uh, incentive and compensation around doing the right thing for patients, keeping them out of hospitals um, and keeping them healthy. So I think that probably is. And, and like you said, I love that phrase members. What did you say? Members of what? Lost members of our tribe. Lost members of your tribe. I like that. Um, and do, do you have a, I, I imagine you have a description of what those lost members look like or what their characteristics are. Yeah. I mean, they're the, they're the best doctors that you train with. They are the people who, you know, went the extra mile for their, for their patients that always go the extra mile for their patients, whether they get paid for or not, for it or not. Um, you know, somebody I think about a lot is actually my, my parents' primary care physician, a woman named you know, Dr. Deborah Fine. Um, who, you know, continues to round on her own patients when they get into the hospital, um, you know, feels this tremendous sense of ownership, you know, whether she gets paid or not, she calls family, you know, calls family members, communicates with them again, whether they're paid or not. We need to take people like Dr. Deborah Fine and put them into clinical models where they, you know, aren't worried about getting paid and are more worried about just doing the right thing for their patients. And, you know, these are, the be, you know, these are the best primary care physicians, the best hospitalists that, that you know, practice all across the country. Um, but these are not people who are celebrated and honored by health systems. They're, they're increasingly, I think, being treated like, like cogs in a machine. And you know, a big part of our focus is you know, maintaining and preserving the professionalism of the people who, who work in our organization and, um, and supporting them and doing the right thing more, more of the time than not. And we're not perfect. You know, I think, you know, there, there are always uh, kind of the exigencies and realities of on the ground care delivery that sometimes overwhelm us. And sometimes, you know, we don't, we, we don't always say what we do, but I think you know, the, the goal of anyone leading an innovative care delivery organization is, um, is to close the gap between the organization that you say that you are and the organization that you are. And that's a, that's a tension that I think our leadership feels very strongly all the time. Mm. That's a great comment. Uh, uh, I love that thought of closing the tension. Uh, what um, I, I want to respect your time. I know you've got a, a meeting coming up. What um, what message? Well, let me ask you two questions, and you get to choose which one you want to answer. Um, I was going to ask you what is the the most um, important lesson you've learned or the thing you are most proud of in your work and your time at Caremore 
And what message do you want to sort of leave listeners with today? Yeah, I think, you know, in this time where there's lots of innovative care delivery models, you know, there's a tendency to fetishize and, uh, and over-focus on the next new model. Um, and I would say Caremore was probably the first of the great new models that, are, <laughs> that have been kind of uh, uh, unleashed to focus on, you know, complex and you know, polychronic patients. Um, at the end of the day, you got to go back to first principles and, you know, great people are the foundation of great models. And I think we've lost that a lot in our, in our kind of consideration of how, how to solve the problems in, in healthcare. And I, I think what's going to save healthcare is, you know, whether we're able to actually preserve and save the professionalism of the people who practice and deliver care within the healthcare system. And so that's where all our energy needs to be. Oh, that's great. Very well said. Um, Sachin, I, I'm going to let you go. I just want to thank you so much. I know how busy you are. And uh, again, love the work you guys are doing at Care More and, um, and uh, wish you the best. And, and I hope we have a chance to talk again sometime soon. Perfect. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Take care, Sachin. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed and benefited from this interview with Dr. Sachin Jain. As always, I would be delighted to hear your feedback on this podcast as well as others. So please email or connect with me via LinkedIn or Twitter. And as always, please don't hesitate to share this podcast with other colleagues. These learnings have to be spread. To that point, I believe this episode has profound and immediate implications for healthcare leaders. One of the major themes that emerged loud and clear in this interview is the notion that we cannot continue to provide a generic model of healthcare for everyone. Dr. Jane underscored the need to create more customized models of healthcare delivery, especially for the elderly with complex and chronic conditions. But, you know, we've heard this theme before from Dr. Chris Chen of Ched Med and Dr. Rashika Fernanda Pole from Eora Health all focused on care of older patients with more complex and chronic conditions. But we've also heard this in other domains, such as in diabetes from Sammy Inken in Averta and Sean Duffy of Amata Health, as well as from Glenn Toulman of Livongo, an interview that I haven't yet posted. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the interviews, I would urge you to do that. These are phenomenal leaders doing very different work. I know that you're going to be hearing more about them over the next few years as their models spread. Another major critical theme covered in this interview was on the issue of social isolation and loneliness and how this has to be built into any model for the elderly. The truth is that we see this in the younger people as well, so it's, it's not limited to the elderly. Perhaps social connectivity should be a standing issue on our medical problem list. Uh, this issue is actually part of a larger domain, the so-called social determinants of health, which is really about the context of people's lives, the impact that it has on health outcomes. Now, Dr. Jane touched upon that with the issue of uh, transportation, as well as understanding and connecting with patients in their homes and communities. And again, we've heard this theme in our previous interviews. Uh, Dr. Shreya Kanjovi from the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center, where she founded and runs the Community Health Worker Program. We also heard it from Micheline Davis from the Robert Wood Johnson St. Barnabas uh, Health System in New Jersey. And again, from Chris Chen and Dr. Rashika Fernandepole. And folks, as I do each and every episode, I'd like to take a moment to express a special note of recognition and gratitude to all of you out there who are either directly providing care to patients and those of you who are supporting others in providing care. You're doing the hard work and the important work each and every day of taking care of others, and, and we all greatly appreciate you for that. 
our podcast guest today also underscored this point as well, that if we're going to improve health care, it's largely about preserving and sustaining the professionalism of the individuals and teams who do the actual work of health care. Can't emphasize that enough. My friends, this is Zev Neuwirth. You've been listening to Creating New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.